The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. We can grow in wisdom without the help of mentors because we've got the Word of God and we've got the Spirit of God dwelling within, so that is sufficient. On the other hand, there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained by older Christians. And so uh, we see this in the book of Titus, where younger women are supposed to go specifically to older women, or older women approach younger women to teach and train them, and younger men with older men. So, uh, And we see this modeled very much in the life of Jesus with his disciples. We see it modeled in Paul when he was taking especially younger men around with him to teach and train them. So uh, young people... There's nothing wrong with going to an older person and saying, will you mentor me? Will you help me? Can I learn from you? Older people, there's a great calling on us to deeply invest in the lives of people who are younger so we can impart wisdom to them. That means there's a responsibility on us as those who are older to grow in wisdom and then even to humbly acknowledge that we have gained wisdom and then be willing to impart that to others. The Apostle Paul was willing to say often, be like me. You want to know how to live the Christian life? Look at this guy. Imitate me and you'll do okay. I don't think he was being arrogant in saying that. I think we can do the same to some degree. Humbly say, I've learned a few things along the way. Let me teach you. Come alongside me. I'll show you how to live this life. And if you live like me, honestly, you'll do okay. I think we can teach and train people that way. So let's see those relationships forming either organically or even just sort of artificially going to someone and say, come along. I'm going to make you my mentee. Would you come and be my mentor? Let's build some of those relationships for the glory of God. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, this past weekend, your emphasis was on shepherding, and shepherding is not just for the pastor, you said, but you made it sound like it's for everyone in the church, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, why? Well, if you look at the structure of the church, you have Jesus, and he's referred to as the chief shepherd, and then you have under-shepherds, those are the elders. Mm Mm-hmm. And then everybody is supposed to be discipling. That's what we're called to do, go forth and make disciples. It just seems a logical deduction that everybody would be shepherding. You're supposed to grow up, as Hebrews says. Stop being a person who's just drinking it in and start to be a teacher. Mature in your faith. Take somebody under your wing. Disciple them. I sort of liken it to the scripture where Jesus is the chief cornerstone And the rest of the foundation is the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What do you build on top of that? You build more discipleship. And the best way that happens is through shepherding. Here's a verse that I came in contact with last night. And I thought of you as I read it. So I want you to comment on it. It's John 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. 
So it seems to me that loving God has responsibilities and accountability in terms of helping others, right? Sure. Unpack that. Everything Jesus did was an example for us. We are to walk in, as First Peter says, in his steps. And walking in his steps is that shepherd's heart. It's being aware. One of the big problems that we have in our culture today is awareness. People mm-hmm. just aren't aware. They're walking around with their faces in their phones, and they're isolating, and they're binge-watching Netflix, and there's not as much human interaction. And I tell people all the time, lift up your eyes. Look around. Mm -hmm. Jesus said that to the disciples. He said, lift up your eyes. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Mm. It's time for the church to lift up its eyes. Look around. Be aware. Who's here? Who's in our congregation? I was just telling you and the other staff over staff lunch today that we've got some young ladies in the church who are not coming to youth group and you see them in their phones all the time and they thought boy if we can't even reach our own youth if we're not even aware of our own youth if we don't have our eyes on them man we are failing miserably and the church is failing miserably i think we're just kind of distracted we're we're fat we're overfed we don't do anything with what has been taught to us And there's not a whole lot of joy in the church. We just live from one moment to the next. We say, oh, that was a fantastic sermon or a fantastic service. Why can't we have services like that all the time? Well, you can if you're dispensing what has been taught to you Mm -hmm. and you're seeing fruit in your life. Most Christians we know will never share the gospel in their life and certainly never lead anybody to faith in Christ. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. You equated basically leadership in the church to being a shepherd or shepherding. That's not a normal model in the church life today because, you know, nobody knows anything about shepherding unless you grow up in an agrarian sort of society. When I was in Israel, I saw the Bedouins and they were they were out there just like you would picture in the first century with a staff. But that's not a model for us in the Western world. But yet you said very emphatically leadership is really shepherding. Why? I really wished I would have had more time as I as you go back and you look at your sermon and you think about it through the rest of the day as a pastor. And that's one of those things I thought, man, I really wish, and I'll get other opportunities, of course, to drive that home, that this is a model of leadership for the church. And what I was contrasting it to was the corporate world. Mm-hmm. The corporate world is all about profit. It's loss versus gain. The church is not like that. Jesus said that he would leave the 99 to get the one. That's the good shepherd. That's a completely different way of looking at the world around us. And those kinds of words from Jesus are subtle and convicting reminders that we're not in the numbers business. We're in the people business. And people are helpless. They're not so bright all the time. Being called sheep Mm. is not a compliment. (laughs) We think it's kind Mm. of a cute little pet phrase that God uses for us, but it's not a compliment. Mm -hmm. Sheep are helpless. They're dumb. They're extremely naive. I was just talking with one of our interns a couple days ago, and he said that he had talked to a person who was a shepherd, and he recounted a story of how he watched a sheep just run right off a cliff. Mm -hmm. No reason whatsoever. Mm. Just dumb. And that's that's us. Going back to your the words from John where 
Peter talks to, to Jesus, Peter's demonstrated, this is what I'm doing now, Peter. I want you to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It was a time of forgiveness for him, and it was a time of recommissioning Peter. And Peter did become the leader of the church. He became the key figure of the church in Jerusalem for a long time. And Jesus is saying, I want you to model what I did. And eventually, of course, he also gave his life for the cause of the gospel on a cross. So there's something there, too. You know, some people would push back on what you just said about shepherding because caring for people also means that there are numbers. I mean, most of all the megachurches are corporately driven, right? They have a corporate model. They have a goal, and usually it's about winning souls. Hard to argue with that. Shepherding does not play a part, but how would you combat that? If everything was about attendance, Jesus would have taken attendance both times he fed first the 4,000 and the 5,000 instead of laying out very controversial and inflammatory language about how they should eat his flesh and drink his blood and driving many, it says many of his disciples turn Good back point. and follow him no more. Mm-hmm. I don't see that numbers are anything in Jesus' world. You're right. It, it's a uh, Western mindset, a Western mentality. And I think a lot of people slip through the cracks. Just thinking about sometimes how we treat the older people in the church. I remember being in a church which was over half the congregation was over age 72, and our pastor said one time, the older people need just as much ministry as the younger people. Sometimes we just kick them to the curb, but mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a useful supply of manpower, mm-hmm. and that's part of my strategy with this whole shepherding thing is to get some of our older saints motivated and, and back in action doing what we're really supposed to be doing in the gospel, which is you're supposed to be taught, mature, grow up in the faith, and then you, in turn, go disciple and teach other people. One of the problems with Western thinking sometimes is there isn't a lot of accountability as larger you get. In fact, you gave an illustration on Sunday of an associate pastor in a very large megachurch down in Florida, and he said some pretty controversial things. The first time you hear it, you go, well, I kind of think everyone's welcome here. But when you unpack it a little bit more, which you did on Sunday, you go, whoa, hold on a second. Tell us the story. Well, the story is, what is the church? Let's clearly define what is the church. And I don't think a lot of people could do that. One of the things that that I have noticed in my life is I'm not really venturing off into new subjects, but I keep revisiting the same subjects and I keep refining my thinking What is the church? Is the church composed of anybody that raises their hand and makes a decision for Jesus? I'm not preaching lordship salvation, which means, you know, that decision doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. But my point is, just because somebody walks in the door and even becomes involved in the church doesn't mean they really know and understand the gospel. And we have to be careful about that. A large mission field is the church itself. You have people there who are exploring, but still to this day, I know people who think, I was baptized as a baby or my parents were members. I'm good. I've done that thing. And they don't really even understand what is the church. The church is the body of Christ, like this organic thing. Jesus even talks about at the end of time, there'll be the sheep and the goats. Somehow the goats, which don't belong, snuck in among the sheep and there's going to be a separation between the two. But You see that kind of talk all over the country where somebody says and implies 
that people who are pro-choice are living together outside of marriage, who are in the LGBTQ lifestyle, are a part of the church. They are not a part of the church. They may contribute. They may attend. They're certainly welcome to do those things at City View, but you're not allowed into the membership of the church. You're not allowed to to serve in the congregation. You certainly aren't growing in your faith, as this pastor implied. You might even be going backwards. We've got to have some clarity into the church. What is the church? The church is made up of the sheep. Mm-hmm. The sheep are the ones who Jesus says welcome into eternal glory. Well, making a decision on a, at an altar could be very meaningful, or it means nothing. Because a decision without repentance, to me, and I think to you, and I think to the Scripture, means nothing. You can say things all day long. Yeah, I accept you as Lord and Savior, but with no repentance from a previous lifestyle or from sin, that decision, I'm not sure it means a lot. And you talked about repentance. Does repentance really have meaning in the church today? Oh, most churches don't call people to repentance. But why? That's a good question. It makes people feel uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's a requirement, right? We want you to think that you're going to come in and everything is, we're just going to improve on you. We're going to make you a better you Mm -hmm. and a happier you. And you get to keep all your stuff and you don't really have to make many changes. And we're really sorry for inconveniencing you when the service goes past an hour. But one thing I was just occurred to me is I also mentioned John chapter 10. And there Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Mm -hmm. They hear my voice and they know. Mm -hmm. And somehow over over the last couple of months, I've come across this idea of knowing God. I used the example on Sunday of our youth director, Kenneth, saying to me, you know, when Jesus brings everybody together and judges, how do we know ahead of time? How do we know? And there are certain aspects of knowing Christ. One of them is that those who do not know Christ, who are the false shepherds, are living in lawlessness. They have not repented. They have Mm -hmm. not turned away from their sin. They're doing what this associate pastor did at this church in Florida, he's justifying these sins. He's saying, you don't have to repent. You don't have to turn your way. But it began with John the Baptist, and it says that Jesus, from the very beginning and all the way through his ministry, he preached repentance. Repentance means to turn and go the other direction. Mm -hmm. It's not so much about being sorry for your sin, although that's part of it. But you can go to an altar, and you can be sorry for your sin. You can be standing before a judge having committed a crime and be sorry for what you did, but are you necessarily going to change your ways? Are you going to turn? Are you going to go a different direction? There has to be some action behind that repentance. Coming back to shepherding for a moment, you quoted one of my favorite chapters in the scriptures, and that was Ezekiel 34, where basically God fires his shepherds because they weren't doing what he wanted them to do. And and then he replaced those shepherds with himself. So I want to know, what were the shepherds doing to get fired? Well, they were abusing the sheep. They were taking the best, I suppose, the best of the sacrifices. We see that in the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. They Mm -hmm. were guarding the tabernacle. When people come, they would take the best choice pieces of meat for themselves, and then they'd give God the scraps. Maybe there was some kind of monetary system. We saw this in the Catholic Church and part of the reason for the Reformation where people were paying indulgences. There's always a temptation to fleece the sheep financially in the church. We see it all the way through history. That's one of the things that Paul mentions 
to Timothy and Titus is that the real impetus behind these or the real motivation behind these false shepherds is financial gain. They want to build their own ministry. How many times have you and I in all of our years of ministry see somebody steal somebody else's ministry or steal their sheep because Mm -hmm. they want an income. They want their own ministry. They want to get paid for what they do because they were after financial gain. I'm sure another aspect of what Timothy and Titus were dealing with, and that was false teaching. Mm. I was explaining on Sunday that the context of Ezekiel was that Ezekiel is already taken away into exile, and there's all these false prophets running around saying everything's going to be fine. The armies of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are going to be overthrown, and we're going to be going home pretty soon. We're going to go back to Jerusalem, and everything's going to be fine because God has forgiven us. But God had said to Josiah just a few kings earlier, because of these specific sins, I will not relent. God's word doesn't change. And Mm -hmm. Ezekiel knew that, and God brought him word and said, these false prophets' words are not going to come to pass. That was a dangerous thing for him because we know the same thing happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually back in the city. Daniel and Ezekiel are off into exile, and Jeremiah gets thrown into a muddy pit and left for dead because he's prophesying things that they don't like. So it would have been dangerous for Ezekiel as well. God fires the shepherds because they're doing a lousy job. They're abusing the sheep. They're taking advantage of them. They're prophesying false things. Their predictions are wrong, and God won't tolerate that. This is the beautiful thing about it. So easily missed is the gospel is in there, where God says, I'm not going to put my people under false shepherds anymore. I will be the shepherd. And then we come into the New Testament, and then we see that Jesus is called the chief shepherd, and he's called the good shepherd. And Jesus embraces this humble position of being a shepherd, which I explained on Sunday was the shepherds were the lowest of society. You know, I think it's true as a pastor, and I understand this as well from my past, you don't want to ever not get paid for what you do. And you you should be paid well for what you do because you are shepherding people, their souls and their lives. So that's an important role in a job. However, Sometimes, as you said Sunday, the sheep are allowing themselves to provide a shepherd with a good life to a point where it's excessive. I think you used the example of some pastor or evangelist who wanted a $60 million jet. I mean, is that a red flag? I mean, it goes back to what you said earlier about sheep being stupid to be able to just lavish a person who is supposed to be preaching the gospel with things that they have no business asking people to give. Yeah, it's the lottery for Christians. It's crazy. If you give to me, you're going to get something back, and it doesn't matter what I'm doing or how excessive it is. And then the world looks at that, and Mm -hmm. they say, yeah, see, we told you. That's all they want is your Mm -hmm. money when you go to church. It's still a constant problem that I deal with when people come from the outside. They're apprehensive. They They don't trust you, and that's because a lot of people have been taken advantage of in the church. Mm-hmm. But, yes, it's absolutely true. There can, there can be the extreme the other way. I know pastors who are almost abused by churches because they're paid so poorly, and the church has the money to do it. And mm-hmm. there's just this idea, well, you're the pastor, so you have to live poor. It's just like anything else. There needs to be balance. On the other hand, there, ne- there has to be accountability. And one of the things that I never do 
is I never get involved in the financial issues of the church. I don't have the combination to the safe. I don't know who gives and what they give. Mm-hmm. And then every year we have some friendly negotiation about my salary, and it, it comes up maybe somewhere in the average of what most people at City View make. Well, which is a great model, actually. You said three things you do as a shepherd. I want to end on this today, Pastor Walt, but I thought it was very interesting. You said, number one, you pray. Number two, you are going to disciple others. And number three, you're going to focus on sermons or teaching. Now, that's usually not the case for most pastors. So why should your model be any different than common people do in the, in the ministry? So what makes you do it differently? The short answer, because that's what the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it tells me I'm supposed to feed the sheep. Yeah. And I can't feed the sheep a diet of starvation. I've got to prepare a nice banquet for them when they come. So I have never, ever one time gone into the pulpit on Sunday unprepared. And I've seen pastors and I've worked for them who are not prepared. That's why I start sermon preparation early in the week. Okay, so most pastors have got to attend meetings. They have to do a lot of things. Nonsense, (laughs) nonsense, nonsense. Well, who's going to do it? Because you know as well as I do that pastors are expected to do those things. So how do you make up the difference? I mean, those things still have to be done, and it takes a leader in the church to do it. So how do you make up? for your absence from these things. Well, you got to teach the people, you got to train the people, and you have to, that's part of preaching. And I was just talking about this again today with Pastor Brandon. What is the church? What are we supposed to be doing? Where do we get people to do the work so that we don't have to do the work? If you're in a church and, and you spend some time there and you're preaching and you just see stubbornness, you probably have to go find a new ministry if if the people feel like we hired you to do the work. That's always been the attitude toward youth pastors. I had a, a youth pastor in high school, and he said he was working in a church, and one Sunday from the pulpit, the pastor said, I want to thank our youth pastor for babysitting our kids hmm. while we're in the service. He went into his office the next day and resigned. That, that was a, such a mischaracterization of what a youth pastor is supposed to be doing. So the third thing then is pray. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a discussion when we first started elders at City View Church because we didn't always have elders. And the question came up, what are the elders supposed to do? And one of the guys said right away, we're supposed to pray for the saints. Mm -hmm. So I pray for you every day. I pray for the leadership of the church every day. And I Mm -hmm. pray for those in need because that's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And think of how many people, if, if we're not praying for them, are not being lifted up in prayer at all. And we always say, oh, I'll pray for you or, you know, I'll lift you up. And then we just forget about it. Okay. So you're every day praying, you're, you're discipling, and you're preparing for sermons. So do you train then the church or the elders? I mean, who does the other stuff that leadership needs to do in keeping a church alive and well? Because there's a lot of stuff to do in a church, Pastor Walt. You know that. Who does it? Well, I have some staff. I didn't always have staff. I Mm -hmm. had to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But voila, when I started praying a lot more, and I mean ramping it up to two or three hours a day, all of a sudden God started taking care of things for me. So it's just one of those things like tithing. If you put God first, he'll he'll supply. And I cut some things out of my life. And I realized that if I'm going to pray and if I'm going to study the scriptures, I have to actually put those things into my schedule. And so 
teaching our youth director to do the same thing. I want you to schedule out your whole week, and I want you to put these things in there. And we were bringing on our assistant pastor. I told Brandon, you know, you see me praying a lot. I want to see you praying a lot because mm-hmm. your ministry is going to be based off of prayer. Mm-hmm. As I've gone through the years, I've I've learned to say no to being on every committee and mm-hmm. board. And sometimes we just get ourselves into trouble as pastors because we we let people kind of almost bully us into this. You got to be here. You got to do. You got to be there. Get 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 with your leadership and get your leadership to understand what am I supposed to be doing? I can't do everything. One more thing I'll add here is that the structure of our church enables me to do that because I'm not the boss of the church. We have a chairman of the board. It's not me. You and I came from a Pentecostal background where the pastor was usually mm-hmm. the the uh, the chairman of the board. Mm-hmm. So those are just some ex- examples and some things that I do. But I I've just learned through the years, and again, this is back to the refining of my ministry, that those are the three main tasks of being a pastor. I've asked you this before, and I know somebody listening to us right now is going to ask, what does he pray for for two or three hours? So what do you pray for for two or three hours? It takes a long time to get to know God. Okay. And that's what I'm doing. I'm getting to know God. I Most of my prayer is listening to God interacting with God, reveal yourself to me, God, open up your word to me. It's so hard for me to explain it because there's a lot of techniques, a lot of things that I do. I pray through the Lord's Prayer every day. I pray through prayer lists. But most of my time is just listening to God and mm-hmm. hearing his voice. And I, I'm just, I guess I'm just a simpleton. I just look at an Old Testament passage like, how Moses met with God face to face. And I think if he did it in the Old Testament, I sure can do it in the New mm-hmm. Testament. And it's revolutionized my life and my ministry. You ever get revelations? I mean, does God speak to you and say, Pastor Walt, don't do this, but do this? Yeah, I think so. There's there's something in my, there's a something happening in my life right now. And no matter how hard I try to work through it and I try to reconcile the situation, I just have a really bad feeling about it. And I've mm-hmm. been in prayer enough to know that's the Lord. The Lord is saying, don't trust this situation. Be careful. Well, Pastor Wald, once again, it's always been a, a, a rich time of conversation as you unpack in conversation the previous Sunday's sermon. And uh, we'll look forward to next time when you continue to think out loud. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.